0: Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. It is time to launch a
1: new war against the evil of lies, deceit, and darkness and go all out to win the victory of truth and transparency and light.
2: Sure, go ahead. Believe everything you see on television, everything you read in the newspaper. Go ahead. Get your history out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, that's right. Oswald killed Kennedy. Yeah, sure he did. Man, you are living in Disneyland.
0: 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on This planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow.
1: Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740.
2: Welcome, friends, to the broadcast for Sunday, June the 12th, 2011. Busy show for you. A little bit later, My good friend, colleague, media scientist, Marshall McLuhan, archivist colleague, Nelson Thal will be with us. Nelson is an interesting man, to say the least. He's able to connect dots where others cannot, perhaps. You will recall uh, several weeks ago in May, there was a parliamentary page, a young woman from Quebec, I believe an arts student, who um, held up a sign during the throne speech saying, Stop Harper. Most of us probably didn't think much of it. Some of us may have uh, had a grudging admiration for her, I don't know, her moxie, her uh, temerity, perhaps. Uh, Nelson, however, saw that as something far more disturbing. He actually saw that as a direct threat to the prime minister and uh, came on the program last week to describe how he believes or he has heard from French intelligence that this young woman in question might, in fact, be part of something called Project Mannequin. Uh, some sort of an offshoot, I guess, from the old MK Ultra program. In other words, a Manchurian candidate who was programmed to do that. He drew a connection between that and a debate that's going on in the European Parliament. There is this movement afoot to form a new country, taking uh, parts of southern England and some region of France, forming a new country. And uh, somehow... Uh, that's caused uh, a great deal of uh, – it's caused a, a rift, I guess, between the French and the British. Nelson, God bless him, uh, was able to draw a connection between that event in the European Parliament and what happened with this young parliamentary page. He's seeing these signs that, um, again, our prime minister, Stephen Harper, was uh, – May be in some danger, and of course, we we certainly hope that's not the case. Uh, Nelson is going to join us again tonight. Back in June, uh, or on June seventh, the conservative uh, website was hacked into, and there was this hoax that the prime minister had been taken to hospital, I believe, by helicopter uh, after choking on his breakfast. That, of course, didn't happen. It was a hoax, but again, that made Nelson Thal's ears prick up and. We'll find out exactly uh, what is on his mind a little bit later in the show, probably towards the tail end. Uh, I uh, received some interesting pictures from a woman. I won't give out her name. She hasn't given me permission yet. And I, and I haven't posted the pictures on my website until she gives me permission. But I'm, uh, I'm very anxious to speak with her, and perhaps we will tonight if she calls in. She sent me some pictures. Her, she's a part of a small paranormal group, her daughter. And uh, she took some photos in a, uh, in a cemetery. I'm not sure where. She sent me the photos. Very strange. Uh, she sent them to various um, uh, universities, she said. But as soon as she, she mentioned the word paranormal, of course, uh, she didn't uh, receive any further communication from these institutions. She wanted them to analyze these photos. I've looked at them. They're very strange. They're at night. Uh, these the the image on these uh, photographs are um, they look like a giant insect of some sort, except it's translucent or it's it's glowing. and uh, finally she said she's had uh, some scientists look at it and he's ruled out that these are insects. Uh, so if uh, the woman in question, I'll call her Kim, uh, if she's listening, would love to hear from her. Towards the tail end of the program. In fact, what I have in mind is around 1220, we'll open up the phone lines. That'll give uh, Kim an opportunity to call in, tell me about the photos, and if uh, she gives me permission, I'll post them on my website at richardserat.com and you all can check them out and weigh in in with your opinion. Of course, uh, Nelson Thaw will be with us later, as I mentioned. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, will check in around midnight. Uh, She's on the road on her way back from uh, Jacksonville, uh, Florida, uh, taking part in an investigation earlier in the week. I think she was in Illinois. She gets around, this Rosemary, and I mean that, of course, in the best of all, in the best of all ways. Uh, she was um, at a, I think it's called the the Herald Rectory up in Illinois, uh, which apparently is haunted. So she's doing these field investigations, and she'll share with us her findings at 12 a.m. Rosemary Ellen Guiley. One of the foremost paranormal investigators in North America. Uh, a part of the uh, the Serret clan was uh, uh, gathered in Brantford. Um, the mighty Aphrodite and the twins and my brother. Uh, as my mother is approaching her eighty sixth birthday, I know she's listening tonight, and um, uh, she's just she's a, a force of nature. Uh, eighty six on Tuesday. And occasionally still uh, will enroll in a yoga class. Uh, I wish I was as flexible as she is now when I was in my 20s. And um, she just keeps going and going. And, and uh, of course, she knows this. But um, I love you, Mom, and uh, happy birthday again. Can't wait for you to come up to uh, Onionville and spend some uh, some time with us. Uh you know, I had it a, an occasion to meet a gentleman. He writes for the National Post, managing editor over there, a columnist. has written a new book, a, a book that I, in, I, I disagree with entirely. In fact, much of what my guest coming up has to say, I disagree with entirely. And yet I have this grudging respect for him. He's a fine writer. And uh, I suspect over the course of the next hour, we're not going to agree on much. His name is Jonathan and He's the author of Among the Truthers, a journey into the growing conspiracist underground of 9-11 truthers, birthers, Armageddonites, vaccine hysterics, Hollywood know-nothings, and internet addicts. Essentially, uh, he says Americans, and I suppose that would include uh, Canadians and, and listeners to this program, are abandoning reality and retreating to internet-based fantasies, worlds conjured into existence out of their own fears and prejudices. The most disturbing symptom of this trend is the 9-11 truth movement, whose members believe that Bush, the Bush administration officials engineered the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks. He goes on, of course, uh, uh, to label uh, the birthers who believe that Barack Obama was was not born or is not a natural-born U.S. citizen uh, he, he labels them uh, uh, anti-Obama extremists. Uh, he talks about radical alternative medicine advocates who claim vaccine makers and mainstream doctors are conspiring to kill large swaths of humanity. Uh, and of course, predictably, these are lumped in with the Holocaust deniers, fluoride phobics, obsessive Islamophobes, and more. Uh, of course, you know I've, I've I've seen Jonathan do the rounds on TV, heard him on radio. And quite frankly, I, I thought he received a bit of the kid glove treatment. So Jonathan Kay from the National Post, standing by, author of Among the Truthers. As I say, we won't agree on much. Uh, because of scheduling, we won't be able to take calls with Jonathan. But again, uh, during that open line segment around 1230, if you'd like, you can weigh in on the uh, the conversation you were about to hear in just moments. As The Conspiracy Show uh, gets underway, we'll roll into a break. And then on the other side, the author of Among the Truthers, Jonathan K. Hope you'll stay with us for the duration. I think it'll be a good one. Back with more in a moment. Richard Serrett with you until 1 a.m.
1: The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, a.m. 740. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740.
2: Welcome back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be with us in about 45 minutes to tell us about her latest paranormal investigations in the field. She's racing back to her home in Connecticut from Jacksonville, Florida, as we speak. So we'll actually catch her on the road. Jonathan Kay is a managing editor, columnist, and blogger at the National Post. He's a fine writer. Uh, He's also a member of the newspaper's editorial board. His freelance articles have appeared in such uh, esteemed publications as The New Yorker, The New York Times, Harper's, Commentary Magazine, Salon. I like Salon. Uh, Reader's Digest and Newsweek. He's a fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies in Washington, D.C. I'm a little disappointed I'm not in his book, but that book is entitled Among the Truthers, A Journey into the Growing Conspiracist Underground of 9-11 Truthers, Birthers, Armageddonites, I love that word, Armageddonites, Vaccine Hysterics, Hollywood Know-Nothings, and Internet Addicts. Jonathan, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
3: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
2: So as uh, the author of a book, uh, sort of looking at the conspiracist underground, how does it feel to be on a program called The Conspiracy Show?
3: Oh, I've uh, been on all kinds of programs since I've written this book, um, uh, from uh, NPR and CBC to one guy's podcast, who I think he had six listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've, I've been on uh, – you, know, you name it, I've been on the show. It's, it's part of uh, being in the book business. You've got to uh, talk to the public.
2: The, the the word conspiracy. What does it mean to you? Uh,
3: well, conspiracy has a couple of meanings. Um, one thing I say in the introduction to, to the book is that I'm careful to define conspiracy theory in a very particular way. Um, on one hand, I realize that there are very real conspiracies that happen all the time. You know, Watergate was a conspiracy, and um, you know, Teapot Dome, uh, Iran-Contra, that sort of thing. But what I define conspiracy theories as in my book is a system of thinking about the world whereby people become completely immune to evidence and it's a style of argumentation where whenever contrary evidence is presented to you you keep just creating bigger and bigger and bigger conspiracies to explain the new evidence Uh, so conspiracy theories typically involve the government and the media and the judiciary and NGOs it's it's an all-encompassing view of the world uh, unlike real life conspiracies which tend to be very limited um, so in the in- introduction to my book i define conspiracy theories in this in in this particular way
2: uh, and, and is there a difference uh, between let's say people that are uh, tend to be left uh, on the political spectrum versus right what, what i'm thinking of is for people on the left, are they more 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 likely to believe in a conspiracy that has to do with uh, a corporation uh, versus those on the right who might see government-sponsored conspiracies?
3: Yes. Uh, in fact, the, the the major case study in my book is is uh, 9/11 conspiracy theorists, and in particular, people who believed Bush and Cheney and Wolfowitz were the the people who were behind the 9/11 attacks, and what I found was that militant left-wing conspiracy theorists and militant right-wing conspiracy theorists essentially embraced the same narrative about the 9/11 terrorist attacks. They both think it was an inside job, with one very crucial difference: the right-wing conspiracy theorists, uh, people like Alex Jones and so forth, um, they believed that the ultimate conspirators were trying to create a one-world government. Um, centered either the United Nations or the Bilderbergers or you name it. Uh, but they were fearful of a one-world government that imposed left-wing values on the world. The left-wing conspiracy theorists, on the other hand, tended to put companies like Halliburton uh, at the center of their conspiracy theories. So they, they thought it was a corporate attempt to um, to take over the world in the name of, of getting oil, or uh, conquering Iraq and Afghanistan in the name of corporate American interests—that sort of thing. The basic sp- structure of the conspiracy theory was the same. It's just that the left and right imagine different evildoers on in the top cell.
2: How do you how do you think, or why do you think, uh, a growing number of uh, people or this this subculture has gained such traction? Was it? uh... was it nine eleven that cemented it for a lot of people does it go back to to watergate does it go back to to jfk what was the defining moment
3: uh... i think jfk was a very important moment because the sixties in general um, was when the climate of distrust in the united states went mainstream and not just the united states but the whole western world and not only distrusted government but distrusted all public institutions including uh, organized religion um, the mass media, um, uh large NGOs. And you know, before that in the forties and fifties, most people generally trusted the government to do the right thing. And in the sixties, it wasn't just JFK, there were other things. There's Bay of Pigs, uh then came the Vietnam War, and suddenly government looked in many cases dishonest. There were a lot of disclosures about the CIA and and their various plots. And, and, and government looked dishonest, and in many cases, it actually looked incompetent. A Bay of Pigs was an example of that. And people stopped trusting public institutions. Um, so that's one factor. That's been around for, for decades. The other factor is the Internet. Um, I have a whole chapter in my book on the Internet. And the Internet really turbocharged conspiracy theories. Because beginning in the, 19, in the mid-1990s, uh, conspiracy theorists no longer were being controlled by the mainstream media. If they had some fringe view that they wanted to put out there, they didn't have to convince some producer or some editor to put it out there on the airwaves or in a book. They could just publish it themselves. and um, That has had an enormous empowering effect on conspiracy theories. Um.
2: But that's also a healthy thing uh, to a certain extent. I mean everything has a limitation and let's face it, the, this subculture, if we can use that term, it's a pretty big tent. So yes, you have the, uh, the wackos, you have the haters. I mean there's certainly that element. But then I think, uh, Jonathan, you, you also have an element uh, of, of, of individuals that are interested in getting at the truth. And uh, I I see them as sort of these, you know, raccoons that are overturning garbage cans and pulling on loose threads. And and maybe in many instances they don't have the formal uh, training. They didn't attend journalism school. Um, But we need those people out there, I think, uh, because – I'm sorry, but in many instances I I, I, I think a lot of people share this view. They feel that they've been let down to a certain extent by the, the fourth estate.
3: Uh, you make a very good point, um, and, and this was a hard thing for me to communicate in the book, that healthy distrust in public institutions is important. It's important for any open society. It's important for uh, any democracy. If ordinary citizens don't express skepticism toward the powers that be, then you end up living in a politically unhealthy society. You need to have skepticism. You need to have people... Who, who challenge the status quo? You need to have investigative reporters. However, sometimes um, this skepticism crosses a line into what I would call—and what I do call in the book—nihilistic distrust. Nihilistic distrust is a, a situation where people simply don't trust anything they're told. Uh, in the case of 9/11, they don't—they don't trust the 9/11 Commission. They don't trust the media. They don't tr- uh, trust the judiciary. They don't trust Republicans or Democrats and when you get to a situation like that, I don't think distrust and the spirit of skepticism that you're talking about remains a healthy phenomenon because ultimately people have to trust in something. If all they're doing is looking for um, you know, scattered esoteric theories on the internet and, and looking at YouTube videos and trying to construct a reality from little flotsam and jetsam that they find on the internet, they're never going to get any kind of, of, uh, of coherent worldview that they can share for others. Their worldviews are always going to be uh, idiosyncratic and personal and you can't get any sort of public dialogue. You're starting to see that in the United States now where Republicans and Democrats simply can't talk to each other because they're each getting their news from radicalized websites. They both have complete distrust on the other side. They think the other side is lying all the time. Um, you know people who watch fox think MSNBC is full of lies, people who watch msNBC thinks Fox is full of lies, and um, this is not a healthy climate, so it it goes beyond the healthy spirit of skepticism that I think you're talking about.
2: Yeah, there's definitely uh with with certain elements in that subculture a psychosis uh I would agree uh, and i and I think you know i I tend to look at the at history uh, in a certain way that informs my worldview that allows for for certain conspiracies. Uh, But again, yeah, the question is where to draw the line. Jonathan Kaye, my guest, the author of Among the Truthers, a journey into the growing conspiracist underground of 9-11 truthers, birthers, Armageddonites, vaccine hysterics, Hollywood know-nothings, and internet addicts. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, 9-11. There's a lot to cover here, obviously. Um, But one of the things that I found uh, in the aftermath of, of that tragedy was this uh, on the part of uh, the mainstream media, and I'm part of that, uh, but was uh, an acceptance, uh, an unquestioning, um, what I would call a, a proof of authority. Uh, um, you know, a memo would be sent out by um, a, a government agency, uh, whether it was the, the CIA or the FBI or the White House. And it was simply accepted at face value. Uh, there wasn't the kind of questioning. I mean, I, I, I know a certain amount of time had to pass, uh, but there wasn't the, some questioning of just the basic, I don't know, curiosity. Uh, I didn't see anything, for example, on the uh, in the National Post about trying to explain early on, well, why did those buildings look like they fell uh, by controlled demolition? Uh, even if, you know, we arrive at the, the sort of the official explanation, I think we should at least be asking those questions, and they weren't being asked except by those in the this conspiracist underground.
3: You know, there's a grain of truth to what you're saying, um, and this is something that happens after every traumatic event in any society, war, terrorism, uh, great crimes, there's a rallying around the flag effect where people see any kind of criticism or critical scrutiny as somehow unpatriotic. Um, however, in democratic societies, that period does not last long. And uh, i give you a concrete example. In, uh, I think it was December 2001. It was about two months after the 9-11 attacks, um, the uh, the United States started passing legislation and preparing well, preparing legislation at least the, the Patriot Act. Your listeners are familiar with, to curtail c- civil liberties in the United States, and civil libertarians started piping up and saying, you know, this is wrong. And the Attorney General, um, I think, it was Ashcroft at the time, yes. made a statement. He, he said uh, to those who scare peace loving people with phantoms of lost liberty, my message is this: your tactics only aid terrorists. And that was a really creepy message. He was, he was telling people, you can't make legitimate political criticism uh, about the civil liberties implications of legislation or else you're aiding the terrorists. And it was a very creepy thing to say. And people called him on it. Yes. People, said, people said, you can't say that. That's, uh, that's not the sort of thing. You can't accuse everyone of aiding terrorists just because they disagree on where to draw the line between security and civil liberties. And, you know, that was December 2001. It was only a couple of months after 9-11. So although I agree with you that there always is a brief period where critics of the government and critics of the security forces uh, tend to to censor themselves because they don't want to look like they're being unpatriotic, in in an open society like the United States, that period tends to be brief. And even by the end of 2001, there was a vigorous debate about things like – well, for instance, things like did U.S. foreign policy um, provoke – yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was uh, Susan Sontag had an essay in the New Yorker just just weeks after 9/11, making that point. And I think it—I don't happen to agree with that point, but I think it's to the credit of the United States that in its most esteemed uh, magazine that that essay could appear. So, you know, I think it's—you shouldn't exaggerate the effect to which people were uh, were not able to speak their mind about their criticisms of what happened. And and by the way, you know, Michael Rupert was talking about. Uh, it was going around Southern California talking about his doubts about who perpetrated 9-11 uh, in late 2001, and no one shut him up. You know, he was allowed to to attend events on on college campuses. So I, uh, I, I think, you know, a society like the United States, to its credit, very open place, and there's always room for critics, except in the, the immediate aftermath of these events. And in those cases, uh, I agree with you. You know, there was, I remember there was one talk... Um, uh, there was a, a TV host uh, a couple of days after the uh, 9-11, I forget who it was, but he, on his TV show, he said that the, um, the terrorists on 9-11 were very brave in a, um, he wasn't I was saying he agreed with them, but he said they were very brave because they flew airplanes into buildings. And he was vilified immediately, even though what he said was accurate. And um, that was in the, that was right in the days after 9-11. So people, they had their backs up because you couldn't say anything like that. Uh, but as I say, that, that period was fairly
2: brief. Right, but there wasn't. What I'm saying is, I mean, there was. There there may have been a discourse about, uh, you know, the balance between uh, civil liberties and 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 national security, but there wasn't. I would say, a healthy discourse on the front pages of the mainstream media or on, on CNN, etc., about, for example, hey, why are some of these so, so-called so terrorists that were aboard the planes showing up alive uh, in places like Pakistan or Egypt? Or isn't it odd that this fire, uh, you know, which completely destroyed the, um, uh, the, the jet airliners, and yet we have reports of this pristine uh, passport... Uh, being found, you know, amidst the rubble or, you know, all of these sorts of questions that I think any curious person would ask, uh, again, even if, it, even if there's a, a, a rational explanation or it leads us back again to the official version of events, I just find it odd that these basic questions weren't being asked.
3: Uh, well, part of it is um, that the mainstream media has uh, respects the fact that there is a stigma on, against conspiracy theories. And to the extent that the details you're, you're raising sound like the kind of details that would be stitched together by someone who would have a conspiracy theory about 9-11, I can see an editor or producer saying, well, these are genuinely interesting questions, but you know what? If we report on them, we're going to look like we have an agenda that we are questioning who actually perpetrated 9-11. Um, That's and also. job.
2: That's their it's, their, job.
3: it's their job, but also these people tend to leave things that they don't understand to experts. And then WTC seven, the um, which fell at, at like 5 five right. twenty p.m. on nine eleven. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's an example. You know most publishers and editors don't understand things like how buildings collapse, and so I guess they waited till the experts waited in, which they which they did in two thousand and seven with the the National Institutes on Standards and Technology report, which concluded through a computer simulation that it was uh, it was fire that brought that building down. And most, most editors, most people in the mainstream media, that's exactly the kind of authority that they're going to cite and respect and report on. Um, but, of course, that's the difference between um, people in the mainstream media and others, the level of respect and trust you accord that kind of source. You know, most conspiracy theorists that I've interviewed, when I raise the NIST report, they'll say, oh, how can you believe that the people behind NIST are... They're, they're in the government or they're in big corporations, so you can't trust that. But, but that's the real difference in outlook between conspiracy theorists and non-conspiracy theorists, is, is, is the level of trust they have in public institutions like NIST.
2: Do you think that level of trust has gone too far?
3: Um, well, you know, I'm someone who's, uh, who's in the mainstream media. And, you know, look, let's take science. Let's, let's take NIST. Um, you know, I used to be an engineer, and when I was doing my engineering work, and I needed to to find out uh, about a, a particular engineering phenomenon, I would consult peer-reviewed literature. I would consult experts in the field. I had a high level of trust in in experts because I was in that field, and peer-reviewed literature and agencies like NIST were exactly how we got inf- our information. So when I became an editor, you know, my attitude didn't change. Those were the same kind of authorities that I I, I cited. So when I interview someone like, for instance, Richard Gage, uh, the architect who's the head of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth, which um, your, your listeners are probably familiar yes. with, with that yes. group, um, you know, he's an architect, but when you go to his presentations, his main evidence consists of a YouTube video. And as as someone who's formerly an engineer and has a high level of trust in um, scholarly research, I, I'm going to trust peer-reviewed academic data over a YouTube video. But the the people who attend these conferences would probably believe the YouTube video more because the YouTube video at least is something that they see with their own eyes, right? Whereas uh, the, the academic research, that's something you have to trust someone in a position of authority, which is something they don't do.
2: Jonathan Kay, author of Among the Truthers, back with more in a moment here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
1: The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at
0: 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740.
1: The truth will set you free, but first, it'll really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Among
2: the truth, there is a journey into the growing conspiracist underground in America. Jonathan Kay from the uh, National Post is my guest. And uh, I, I want to talk about the, um, uh, something that's happened fairly recently uh, since um, the book has been published. And that was the, uh, the reported uh, death uh, or killing of Osama bin Laden. To me, here is, a, a, I think, a classic example of this proof of authority uh, again, you know, no body. So habeas corpus, no body. Uh, we were told, you know, there was DNA evidence and so forth. But no, again, no questioning uh, of that event. And I, again, whether or not you, you you subscribe to conspiracies, I was sort of taken aback by the way that the, that official version was just regurgitated uh, without question. Uh, did you have any... Hesitations or reservations or or, or questions in the in the uh, aftermath of uh, the death of Osama bin Laden. Um,
3: I'll be completely honest with you. I don't think it's impossible that Osama bin Laden is still alive and in U.S. custody somewhere. Um, It might be the case that instead of killing him, they they wounded him and, and took him off somewhere. Um, And the reason I say that is because, unlike most conspiracy theories, this one would only have to involve a couple of people. Um, I mean, most conspiracy theories, like 9-11 conspiracy theories, I think they're very far-fetched because they would involve hundreds or even thousands of people. And the way the human mind works is is people are very bad at telling secrets, uh, at keeping secrets, excuse me. And, um, you know, I just don't think it's possible that a plot involving that many people could stay secret for a decade. But if it were the case that the U.S. government wanted to take Osama bin Laden prisoner, but they didn't want um, him to become the subject of kidnap threats and and, and terrorist attacks and and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, could uh, Navy SEALs, a half dozen of them, or a dozen of them keep a secret? Perhaps, uh, at least long enough for the United States government to extract information from Osama bin Laden. So I think it's highly unlikely, but it is on the realm of possibility that Osama bin Laden uh, is alive somewhere in U.S. custody. The more far-fetched conspiracy theory was the one that said... That the operation never took place. The guy who was in this compound in Pakistan wasn't Osama bin Laden, or that Osama bin Laden never existed, right? Because a lot of nine eleven conspiracy theorists think that Osama bin Laden uh, was a CIA dupe from from the get go, and that the entire um, uh, the entire thing was a hoax. Um, so well, I, I,
2: yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, um, I, um, I I'm wondering how far fetched because we do have we did have. Um, Mainstream media reports that uh, Fox News and others that 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 Osama bin Laden was actually dead as early as December 2001. You had uh, reports from the uh, the newspapers in, in Pakistan. We had uh, Brian Lawrence at Duke University, who was at one time anyway considered one of the authorities on Osama bin Laden, uh, and he was the one that stepped forward after the release of the uh, the videotape in which bin Laden. Uh, so supposedly admitted his role in 9/11, and, and it was Brian Lawrence that said that's clearly not Osama bin Laden. Lawrence has then went on to say that we haven't had a credible audio tape or videotape of Osama bin Laden since late 2001. So uh, th- then there were reports uh, uh, in the in the French uh, media, uh, according to French uh, secret police and the I believe it was the Saudi secret police, that bin Laden had died in 2006. So, I mean, these reports were out there. Um, so I, I don't know how far-fetched it is, to, uh, um, uh, Jonathan, to, to suggest that he he died a long time ago and that this was a very convenient time uh, for the uh, Obama administration to do this.
1: I don't know.
3: Um well, look, terrorist leaders who live lives in secret, there's always all kinds of rumors about them. Uh, the leader of the Tamil Tigers was reputed to be dead several times before they actually got him. Uh, the same is true of the leaders of the PKK, Arafat. Um, you know, there's all kinds of always some rumors circulating about these folks. Um, but again, you have to look at how many people would have to be involved in the lie for... Um, for it to work, and in the case of, of the raid on Osama bin Laden's compound, I think there were about hundred Navy SEALs
2: who were involved. Well, we're told that we don't know if there were any. Uh,
3: well, the Pakistan government, um, which is very bad at keeping secrets, uh, is quite is quite insistent that uh, it was a, a large scale raid, and and reporters were crawling all over that compound within twenty four hours of it. It um, if they wanted to do it entirely in secret, they wouldn't have done it in the middle of a Pakistani city, they would have done it out in the countryside somewhere in some controlled location. And, um, and they would have taken their own videos and circulated the videos. I, I mean, I, the fact is uh, Obama uh, created a controversy by refusing to, to show any photos. If there was some kind of con- conspiracy to demonstrate that bin Laden was dead, the first thing he would have done is shown photos, which you could say, well, they're doctored photos and, or, or whatnot. But the fact that he didn't, produce any photos, to my mind, shows that he's fairly confident in the outcome of the operation, and he doesn't want to provoke Muslims by uh, releasing pictures of, of a dead body. Um, so I, uh, and, and by, by the way, Al-Qaeda itself and its various spokespeople have, have released all kinds of statements lamenting the loss of their leader, and um, it, it doesn't seem to be a subject of controversy even among Al-Qaeda members that Osama bin Laden's dead.
2: Well, there's a former, uh, and his name escapes me at the moment. I'll, perhaps I'll think of it in a second. But he 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 has served as a, a, a policy advisor to to a number of U.S. Secretaries of State, including, I believe, Casper Weinberger, George Shultz, uh, um, even Cyrus Vance, uh, who is a, um, a medical doctor, and um, supposedly worked alongside Osama bin Laden when he was. Uh, fighting along with the mujahideen against the Soviets, and um, and said that it was widely known um, by the CIA in 2001 that at that time Osama bin Laden was deathly ill. A CIA officer visited him in a in a in the American hospital in Dubai, and uh, uh, it was understood that that his condition. Had worsened And he was not expected to, to, to live for very long. So, I mean, we do have reports from even with inside uh, the government, um, you know, and, and, and doubts of this of this story. So I don't know. I, I think you and I will have to agree to disagree on this one. I, I think that uh, I think it's quite likely that um, uh, bin Laden has been dead for a very long time and uh, that it was a convenient opportunity for uh, the Obama administration uh, to do this, uh, however, I well, I'll give you the final word on that, and then I want to move on to the the birther issue. Sure.
3: Well, I will grant there, there's a grain of truth to the conspiracy theories about Al Qaeda, and that is that um, it is entirely true that the United States and what was uh, what was then called the Mujahideen and, and later became Al Qaeda, they were on the same side in the 1980s when the Mujahideen were fighting against the Soviets. That's entirely true. It's also true that the United States was supplying financial and military aid to the Mujahideen through Pakistan, and some of that aid, I'm sure, made its way to, uh, to Al-Qaeda, or, or what we now call Al- Al-Qaeda. Uh, that much is true. Um, however, and this is all in the 9-11 Commission report, and I, I would urge your listeners to read the 9-11 Commission report, the first 100 pages or so of which give a detailed blow-by-blow account of the American war against Al-Qaeda. Um, which began in earnest in the mid to late 1990s, because, of course, that's when al-Qaeda, they blew up the USS Cole. uh, I guess that was 2000. And in 1998, there were the two African embassy bombings. So, you know, you could say that there might have been some kind of residual relationship between al-Qaeda and the United States uh, in the early 1990s. It's, it's, It's possible. But, you know, by the time the embassy bombings happened in 1998, uh, Osama bin Laden was properly regarded as a mass murderer of Americans uh, and American assets in Africa, even though most of the victims uh, in, in there were actually Native Africans. So the idea that three years later in some Dubai hospital, Americans were cozying up to Osama bin Laden is crazy. I mean he had killed Americans. Why, why would they possibly have any truck with him? It, the theory doesn't make sense to me and uh, it, it's given no credence in the uh, 9-11 Commission report. But again, this goes back to the, the source of disagreement between you and me, is that I'm inclined to regard the 9-11 Commission report as authoritative, and I'm, I'm presuming that you
2: do not. Um, no, probably not. in, 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 all, in all matters. But I, you know what it really comes down to? I think, Jonathan, in, in many cases, it's whom we choose to believe. Uh, you know, there's, whether or not there is uh, you know, this objective truth out there, uh, because most of us get our information, uh, secondhand, thirdhand. So we have to, we have to choose whom we believe. Um, the, the, the U S uh, government insider I was uh, thinking of was Dr. Steve Pizanek. And, um, uh, as I say, he was, um, uh, the, um, assistant, or sorry, the deputy assistant secretary of state under a number of, of U um, S administrations. Um, let me take another quick time out. When we come back, we'll uh, one more thing on bin Laden, and then I want to get to the birther issue. Back with more of my conversation with Jonathan Kay here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
1: Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. The truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. From left-wing 9-11 conspiracy theorists to
2: right-wing Obama-hating birthers, a sobering eyewitness look at how North America's marketplace of ideas is fracturing into a multitude of tiny radicalized boutiques, each peddling its own brand of paranoia. That's from America. Uh, Among the Truthers, a journey into the growing conspiracist underground of 9-11 truthers, birthers, Armageddonites, vaccine hysterics, Hollywood know-nothings, and internet addicts. Uh, Jonathan Kaye is uh, with us. He's the managing editor and columnist and blogger at the National Post, as well as a member of the newspaper's editorial board. Um, one more thing on uh, bin Laden. Uh, this is something that often comes up uh, in conversation with conspiracy theorists and others. And I'll get your take on it. Uh, you mentioned bin Laden wanted for the uh, the crimes in uh, the bombings of the embassies in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, and also in Tanzania. But one of the things uh, that was alleged was – and I think there's some credence to this. Uh, the FBI's website, when – before bin Laden was reported uh, – to be to have been killed. Uh, if you look at their, the FBI's most wanted, Bin Laden was there, number one. Uh, and then you read what what he was wanted for. He was wanted in connection with the bombing of the USS Cole, and again the the uh, embassy bombings in Africa, but not in connection with 9/11. And there was a um, uh, an individual, uh, sort of a, an independent researcher, a, a journalist, who contacted the FBI. And they asked them, why isn't he wanted in connection with 9-11? And the FBI said, well, isn't there, there isn't enough evidence to take this to a, to a grand jury, which I find kind of interesting. I, and I wanted to get your take on that.
3: Uh, yeah, I, that's, some, that's a, a talking point that's been repeated to me many times. Look, uh, you know, the FBI is a gigantic bureaucracy. Um, I'm sure people say all sorts of things. My guess would be that um, at the time, and this goes back all the way to the 1980s, there has been an active debate within U.S. policy circles about whether terrorism is to be considered a legal problem or a military problem. And as your listeners know, one of the problems with treating terrorism as a legal problem is that you then have to observe all of the formalities which go with, uh... the procedural and constitutional aspects of prosecuting crime uh... chains of custody and evidence reading people their rights um, you know everything you see on law and order you have to do all those things when you're prosecuting terrorists as criminals and there's a lot of people in the fbi and the cia who don't want to do that because they think it's impossible uh, even where it, it's quite clear that people have committed terrorist attacks in some cases because they take responsibility for it on tv it's very hard to prosecute these people as criminals because um, you can't cross the T's and dot the I's when it comes to the constitutional procedural safeguards uh, that they enjoy criminal law. And so you treat it as a military problem. That's why you have things like un- unlawful combatants and Guantanamo. And my guess is that there's a lot of people, the FBI, who will say, yes, we don't have the, the evidence and we don't have the means to prosecute al-Qaeda members. As common criminals, because um, they would probably get off on some technicality if we prosecuted this case in front of a court of law, as opposed to, say, a military tribunal or some other tribunal at Gitmo or something like that. And that's a fair statement. I don't, it doesn't mean that Al Qaeda is innocent or that Osama bin Laden is innocent. It just means that they have decided that they're going to prosecute this as a military issue, as opposed to a legal issue. And I should add that, in the end, that is what they in fact did when they when they shot bin Laden they more or less decided that this was an enemy combatant on a battlefield as opposed to a criminal suspect that they were gonna take into custody so what that FBI guy told this independent researcher researcher a decade ago is entirely consistent with the way that Osama bin Laden was ultimately dispatched in Pakistan
2: All right, uh, Jonathan let's move on to the uh, the the birther issue which is uh, you know uh, looms large in uh, among the truthers and um, I just I find it interesting uh, that the whole birther issue actually started with Obama supporters and it came up first when it was discovered that John McCain's parents were born in, or John McCain rather, was born in the Panama Canal zone. Uh, And there was some debate, you know, as to whether then he was considered a natural born U.S. citizen, which is of course a constitutional requirement to occupy the White House. So, I mean, are the and they they demanded uh, John McCain's long form birth certificate and even when one was presented there was still a lot of of question uh and and McCain ended up having to take it to the to the floor of the Senate and and demanded a vote non non binding um granted but still he, uh, he asked for that clarification uh so I, I mean would 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 the those original birthers that went after McCain would they be in your mind conspiracy theorists uh
3: no i mean they're to my mind uh, probably rabid political partisans, and, and don't ask me to defend rabid political partisans on either side. I think the American political system is so tribalized that that on, on both extremes people sound like um, like idiots. However, again, I'm going to go back to the definition of conspiracy theory that we talked about at the beginning of the show, which is someone who refuses to consider evidence rationally except to the extent that they just create bigger and bigger and bigger conspiracies. Uh, in the case of the people who doubted where McCain was born, when the evidence was presented, the issue went away. People said, okay, he's, he was born in, uh, I think it was the Panama Canal zone, and fine, You know, that's, that's it, it's legitimate. Um, in the case of uh, birthers for Obama, on the other hand, every time you show them a piece of evidence, they simply expand the conspiracy further. And, and this has been the case in the month that has followed Obama's release of his long-form birth certificate. If you look at, on conspiracy theory websites like worldnetdaily.com, they don't say, okay, well, we asked for the long-form birth certificate and we got it, let's move on. They they go into elaborate detail to try and explain to you how the long-form birth certificate is, is, is a hoax and this pixel has been manipulated and if you put it in the mirror and hold it upside down and you know, stand in your head, it, it's actually, you can see that it's a fake. Um, and this is a textbook example of conspiracist thinking that they they just, they refuse to acknowledge Evidence to the contrary of their conspiracy theory. They well, just-
2: but, but um, what's what's peculiar though about this case was first of all, let's let's look at what was actually released. It wasn't an original. It wasn't an original document. Uh, but which- but
3: what, what? Sorry, what kind of original? Like, like are are, are three hundred million Americans supposed to be invited into a room to see a piece of paper from the H- Hawaii's archives? Like, I, I don't know what what birthers want. Like, do they want to each be able to hold in their hand a piece of paper issued? By the Hawaiian Secretary of State?
2: Like well, why not? One, well, I don't know. Maybe I would suggest that he could submit the actual original document, the original document, which incidentally, Abercrombie, the governor of Hawaii, uh, said that he had looked high and low and he said it doesn't exist. And no, then,
3: that's not what he said. The, the, no? the, 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 no, the Hawaiian Secretary of, of Health uh said that she had seen the document that it is genuine and the republican governor of of Hawaii you know Hawaii has a republican governor said that uh the state officials had seen the the document it's genuine he thinks this whole thing is completely ridiculous even though he is a republican every single state official in Hawaii who has anything to do with the controversy or has seen the document all attest to it's being genuine and all and all are embarrassed by this entire thing even though as i say it's a republican state apparatus so and, and again this goes back to the idea that um, you know no evidence is good enough for conspiracy theorists they they will always just add a layer of conspiracism to whatever contrary evidence is presented
2: well to them. i yeah there's there's a certain amount of truth to that but i mean i think i think that this dogged pursuit uh, maybe it's maybe it's embarrassing maybe it's uh, inconvenient maybe it's even annoying at times um, but you know, when this story first surfaced, I mean, we had these reports from his uh, paternal grandmother who said several times, I was present at his birth in um, Mombasa in Kenya. Uh, two or three times she went on the record as, as stating that. Um, but aside from all that, I mean, there is the issue of, let's leave the, um, you know, the long-form birth certificate aside. There is the issue of his, you know, his, his father, um, uh, Barack Obama Sr., uh, being a citizen of Kenya, which would have made him, um, uh, you know, because at the time it was a British colony. I mean, it is there is a constitutional question here uh, that needs to be addressed. Uh, and that's part of this debate too. Um, you could still ask the question, is the president a natural born U.S. citizen, given that his father was a citizen of the British empire, that would be bestowed upon uh, Barack Obama Jr. So there is the question. It's it's out there, and it and it deserves to be uh it deserves to be examined.
3: Yeah, um, I, I'm familiar with this argument. Uh, the argument about Barack Obama's father is a fallback uh, position for birther conspiracy theorists who have been proven wrong, uh, and then have have gripped onto this uh, esoteric theory of constitutional interpretation that says, oh, if, if your father is born somewhere else, you're not a citizen. James Corsey, for instance, uh, talks about this in his new book, Show Me the Birth Certificate. Every legitimate constitutional scholar in the United States has completely rejected this and, and said that it, it makes no sense. And if it made any sense, there would be numerous figures in American history who would have been excluded from consideration for the presidency. But at the time, they weren't because no one believed in this bizarre interpretation of 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 the Constitution. So again, this is a a fallback position from people who are desperate to rescue the thesis that Obama is an illegitimate president. It's it has no mainstream basis in constitutional scholarship.
2: Well, I I don't know. I I mean, if you look at the polls as well, I mean, up until. He released his uh, long form. I mean, it was it was you know the birther movement was was labeled as being you know fringe. But if you looked at the polls, even CNN, up until uh, early May, um, about fifty three percent of Americans had serious questions about uh, the origin of his birth. So the, the the marginalizing of that whole issue, I thought, was kind of bizarre.
3: Well, you're, you know, you're right. This, ultimately, this is why I, I wrote the book, because if it were only one or two percent of Americans who believe that 9-11 was an inside job or that uh, vaccines cause autism or that Barack Obama was a Muslim or that he's um, an illegal alien, uh, th- there'd, be, there'd be no point in me writing the book because these would be fringe phenomena. But as you say, there are a lot of people who believe these things. I think these things are wrong but i think it's an interesting political and sociological phenomenon that people do believe these things um but i mean i think obviously you and i disagree about whether it's a healthy thing that so many people believe these things i think it's a really scary and unhealthy thing and i think uh, i'm presuming i'm putting words in your mouth but i think you think it's a healthy sign of people who are being skeptical of the stories they're being told by the powers that be
2: uh, yeah, there is there is a line to be drawn there. Obviously, you can only go so far. And I mean, when it obviously, when it consumes you and it becomes your underlying, uh, you know, method uh, of operating and you see it everywhere. Um, but I, you know, I, 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 I'm thinking of um, Watergate again and um, Woodward and Bernstein and, and how at the time they were lauded uh, for what they were doing. And, you know, there were some questions uh, as to whether, you know, questioning their sources and so forth. And and um, I'm thinking, though, if, if Woodward and Bernstein were around today doing what they were doing back then, uh, whether they might sit down with the president. And the president would say – they would say, well, I'm sorry, Mr. President. I, I know this is embarrassing. We have to ask you this question. And he would deny, deny, deny and say, of course, I had nothing to do with Watergate. And they would say, well, I'm sorry. You know, we'll, we'll – um, We'll go and write that story and make that correction, but you know we had to ask. To me, that's I just I, that's the feeling I have that that's the way it would be done today, as opposed to back in the early seventies.
3: You know, I, well, that's, that's I think it's uh, a, an interesting argument you're making because you know what you're saying is valuable investigative journalism wouldn't be done if 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 you trust the authorities. Um, I actually think I'm more hopeful than you because I think these days there'd be a lot more electronic footprints that investigative journalists could research. They'd they'd find things like text messages and the people who broke into the Watergate, you know, they'd have their cell phones on presumably and cell phone companies know exactly where they were at any given second. Uh, That's one of the scary things about living in modern societies is that – people can follow you around based on where your cell phone is. Um, so I, I think there's all kinds of tools that investigative journalists would have been able to use to, to crack open the Watergate case even easier. But, but the larger point I'm going to make about Watergate is, is in a way, Watergate was a prototypical real conspiracy because it was small, grubby, and unsuccessful, which is the way most real-life conspiracies are. They, they, you know, they involve a, a small group of people. Um, at least one of them is incompetent. Uh, you know, the Watergate break-in was bungled. And, uh, and and it breaks down, and eventually people find out about it. But it's they're usually fairly limited in ambitions. You know, the, the conspiracy theories I talk about in the book, and that people believe, the people I interview believe in, tend to be really things out of Hollywood movies, you know? Like people bombing the World Trade Center, uh, moon landing stuff, um, you know, great, dastardly evil plots involving large groups of people and high technology and uh, very cinematic, um, you know, Manchurian Candidate stuff. Barack mm-hmm. Obama conspiracy theories very much resemble the, the plot of Manchurian Candidate because a lot of these people believe that Obama is some secret agent from, from, for communism or for, for Islam. Um, but you know, Watergate is a, an example of a real conspiracy, which is, uh, as I say, small, grubby, and, uh, and ultimately unsuccessful.
2: Uh, just a couple quick questions, and i'll let you go. Let me get your take on a let's dial back to uh uh the sixties uh nineteen sixty eight and the, we just commemorated the the forty third anniversary of uh the the murder of r f k did you do you smell the possibility of a conspiracy there
3: well um i'm not an expert on r f k um, but a lot of people ask me about j f k uh which i do know a little bit about um and and but and what the first thing I tell them is I do think it is possible that there was a second shooter and I don't think that makes you a conspiracy theorist if you believe that because again what I think is crazy about conspiracy theories is when you think hundreds or thousands of people were involved in some complex plot and no one spilled the beans because that's not human beings don't work like that but in the case of of JFK all you need is one or two other people for there to have been a conspiracy. Because by definition, a conspiracy is just more than one person, right? Right, right. So if, if you are someone who says, I don't believe the official explanation of JFK, I think there was a second or third shooter, I don't think that makes you a conspiracy theorist. Um, and the same is arguably true about you know, things like the killing of, of, uh, of Oswald himself and, uh, and the other killings that took place in the 1960s. There There is completely legitimate uh, questions to be asked about a lot of these killings.
2: Well, you know, I think if we were to talk uh, uh, further into the night, and I could easily do that with you, Jonathan, um, I think we would find uh, some common ground as well. And uh, listen, I really appreciate you spending some time with me tonight. I've enjoyed our conversation. The book is Among the Truthers, A Journey into the Growing Conspiracist Underground of 9-11 Truthers, Birthers, Armageddonites, Vaccine Hysterics, Hollywood Know-Nothings, and Internet Addicts. And the publisher is HarperCollins. Jonathan, a real pleasure. Thank you.
3: Thanks for having me, and if uh, people have follow-up, my blog is amongthetruthers.com, and I interact with uh, listeners and readers there, and sometimes I publish their stories on my website.
2: Terrific. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. Bye-bye. When we come back, paranormal investigator Rosemary Ellen Guiley, hot on the trail of another investigation.
1: Shaking the world and seeing what for This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740.
1: This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740.
2: I suspect uh, a number of you were itching to get in on that conversation I had with Jonathan Kay from the National Post, the author of Among the Truthers, uh, a book in which he takes uh, umbrage, uh, shall I say, uh, with many in the conspiracy uh, underground, if I can use that word, or the, sub- the conspiracist subculture. Uh, again, I have uh, respect for, for Jonathan as a writer, and uh, he's a he's a gentleman. We had a, a courteous uh, discussion, uh, but not a lot of common ground there. Um, anyway, we'll make the phone lines available to you at 12.30, coming up in about 20 minutes, if you'd like to comment on that. Uh, and as well, uh, just about anything else, from 12.30 to 1 o'clock Eastern, open lines. Nelson Thal, our media scientist, will be along Uh he has something he's itching to get on uh, uh, or off his uh, off his mind or something that's on his mind rather <laughs> than he's looking to uh, to relay to us uh, right now though she's just pulled into her driveway, I believe uh, after a um, a whirlwind tour she was in illinois she was in jacksonville florida rosemary ellen guiley is a leading expert on the paranormal and supernatural she conducts original field investigations of haunted and mysterious sites she's written more than forty books including nine encyclopedias her latest book is the vengeful gin and in addition hundreds of articles in print on a wide range of paranormal spiritual and mystical topics and she possesses an exceptional knowledge uh, in the field. She has approximately one million copies in print, and uh, we're happy that she's a regular part of this program, joining us the second Sunday of every month. Rosemary, how are you?
4: Well, it's been a whirlwind weekend, Richard.
0: You literally Very just interesting.
4: Pulled- Uh I was uh, out in Jacksonville, Illinois, uh, and. Uh, I was speaking at a paranormal conference there. I gave a presentation on the gin, and then I had the opportunity to do some investigations at some very interesting places in town um, that had a lot of haunting activity in them. So uh, we got out the equipment, and uh, we had some communication and phenomena. It was uh, a great weekend, and I went out with a colleague and friend of mine. We we drove uh, from Pennsylvania out to Illinois, and... uh, it was a good long drive back today. We just got in.
2: Well, I'm relieved to know that it was Jacksonville, Illinois. When I see Jacksonville, I was thinking, wait a minute, Rosemary drove from Illinois down to Florida and then back up to Connecticut? My, that's a lot of driving. <laughs> so,
4: Well, there, there are Jacksonvilles everywhere, I guess. <laughs>
2: well, indeed. Ja- and-
4: Jacksonville is uh, It's about an hour west of Springfield, Illinois, which is in the middle of the state.
2: So tell me about the, the Eldred House. This was... Uh, Um, an underground railroad safe house, I guess, for runaway slaves.
4: Yes, and it was built in the early 1800s by a man named Ward Eldred, and uh, he and his family had moved out from Ohio, and they chose Illinois because um, Illinois had... um, the the state legislature had passed a a law against uh, slavery, and uh, he did not want to live in a state that allowed slaves. Um, now, Ward had four wives during his life. Uh, they all died in childbirth, and then he lost several of his children as well. So um, there are some family spirits on this property. He raised cattle and um, goats and uh, farm crops. That's how he made his living. And then he, one of his sons took the house over. So it's a historical property today. It's under renovation. It's built in the Greek revival style, and it's had a long history of haunting activity. There's also um, Native American spirits that are seen on the property. There there are actual apparitions that people have seen walking through the trees. We weren't able to see that uh, Saturday night, but we did have activity inside the house. I took uh, one of my favorite pieces of equipment, the Frank's box, which is a radio sweep device that um, facilitates real-time two-way communication, like real-time EVP, and we had um, communicators come through, one who identified himself as uh, a boy who had been a slave hiding out there during the Civil War. Uh, And... Uh, another was a child spirit named William. Uh, William is known for throwing rocks at people. And while we were sitting in our circle in the kitchen area, and we we did have the lights down so that people could do infrared photography, uh, we had several rocks pelted at us uh, that they just appeared. I mean, they just fell from somewhere in the room. And... Um, I asked uh, William if he was the rock thrower, and he said yes. And I said, "Why are you throwing rocks at us?" And he said, "Because it's easy."
2: <laughs> oh Lord! You know that's, so, that's, no, that's I it's mean, hard, it's hard to work. You know uh, like when pebbles, even your ghosts actually. are when even and, the ghosts uh, are. Hecklers. No one, no
4: one was injured. Uh, we had people being. Um, uh, touched you know sensations of having their hair pulled and jackets and and clothing tugged on um, one man uh, in the investigation group caught an amazing video of one of the the uh, doors in the home uh, seeming to close by itself and uh, um, the door is not um, uh, you know it's it's not like tilted or something like that, where it would would close on its own. It it can stand open on its own, and uh, we had photographs of um, unknown shadow figures that were captured in uh, some of the stairway areas. So it it was a very interesting night. But we'd had an electrical storm the night before, uh, with a lot of lightning and thunder and severe wind, and and sometimes uh, a major storm like that will stir up a lot of activity.
2: you know why why is that?
4: Um, I think because it changes something in the ionization in the air and uh, haunting phenomena uh, seem to be responsive to changes in electromagnetic magnetic energy Uh, and when um, storm activity uh, ratchets up or we have also when we have a major solar flare activity. That can also influence it as well. Um, phenomena seem to be very sensitive to shifts in the um, electromagnetic energy in an environment. Uh, and sometimes after that energy is spent, then it takes a while for uh, a lot of it to come back. It seems like a, a storm sort of releases a lot of kind of energy, not just um, in the natural environment, but in the uh, invisible psychic environment as well.
2: This is uh, Frank's box, and uh, you and I have talked about it. I, I'm fascinated by it. I can't wait to actually see one of these things work, but do you have it set up so that it's actually recording these live two-way conversations with, with you and the, the, the spirit world?
4: The box is attached to a speaker and an antenna, and then uh, you can attach a recorder directly to the box. The disadvantage of that is it records only what comes over the box and none of uh, none of your questions, uh, so I always have an external recorder going as well, and then uh, we usually have somebody videotaping uh, just in case there's uh, an outbreak of phenomena that occurs during communication. And we haven't had a chance to examine our videotape yet, Um, and we probably also got some additional EVP on the recordings uh, in addition to what we actually heard. But uh, all of us in the session, and there were over 20 people participating in this, all of us could hear a lot of the answers that were coming over the radio and how that works for people who aren't familiar with these devices. Uh, they modulate a sweep of a m radio stations, and uh, so you are dependent on the broadcast area that you 're in, and They go past every station very rapidly, like you if you manually turned your dial exceptionally rapidly, so that you wouldn 't stay on a station very long and It sets up a, a jumbled noise matrix that seems to enhance the ability of spirits to communicate. Uh, directly in real time and um, the communications are voices that um, they, they kind of ride on top of that noise they're not bits and pieces that come from the radio broadcast because you're you're only on a station for a second or two and uh, the communicators will, will talk in short phrases and entire sentences uh, which would cover the span of several radio stations so it's a phenomenon that Um, is highly controversial because it's very difficult to repeat experiments um, in uh, an environment because the scan is different. Uh, Every time the the box goes through the radio stations, the the noise changes, and the connections are often hard to hold. But I've been doing this kind of research for several years, and I, I think it's really some of the most exciting technology that's available in paranormal investigation because uh you can get direct answers to questions that you can't explain. Uh you simply can't explain them as random radio broadcasts.
2: Are the are the, uh, the is the quality of the um, audio, better than it would be, for example, in a lot of the EVPs uh, or electric, vo- electronic voice phenomena. Uh, and we should, for those not familiar, there's sort of a, a real distinction here. With the the uh, Frank's box, you're getting again live two-way conversations between you and the other side. Uh, with the EVPs, oftentimes, as I understand it you're walking around with a tape recorder turned on you don't hear it with the the naked ear if i can use that term uh, you don't hear correct. the evp and until I you play it back. I call
4: that passive evp because we have to wait to play the, recor- the recording back to even see if we got anything and you throw out questions and maybe they're answered maybe they're not but you don't have the opportunity for follow-up that you do with the box and sometimes communicators will answer several questions in a row uh, and sometimes only one or two, and I think it just has to do with the uh, the ability of the technology to to hold this interdimensional bridge. Um, it's it's not very sophisticated technology, admittedly, but sometimes the communications are exceptionally clear, and sometimes they are like passive EVP. They're uh... hard to understand without headphones or without uh... using some software to take out some of the background noises that can can obscure the voices so it runs the gamut uh... and for evidence i do prefer to stick to the clear what we call class a responses because um, if a lot of people can listen to them and understand um what's being said uh, that's far more um, high quality than um, vaguer responses that are difficult to understand. You might need headphones, and maybe three or four people would come up with different interpretations of what's being said, which is not uncommon.
2: Rosemary Ellen Guiley is my guest, paranormal investigator, author of more than forty books. Her website, incidentally, is www.visionaryliving.com, visionaryliving.com. com. Uh, com. You are also in a rectory uh, in Illinois on in another investigation. First of all, what is a rectory?
4: Well, a rectory is um, it's a it's a Catholic place, um, and it's where priests live. Uh, and this rectory uh, had it, now it's a historical property but it had been occupied for many years uh, and it's haunted by uh, a priest who died there and also by a monsignor who had lived there a very long time uh, and uh, what people hear are we did not do a box session at the rectory but people hear footsteps um, you can hear voices talking in rooms uh that no one are there uh, no one is there um, there's um, the scent of pipe tobacco uh that drifts around in um, the hallways and uh it seems that the phenomena whatever is there is it responds if people start talking about religious topic. So if you sit in a room with two or three investigators and you have a conversation about something spiritual or, or religious, that seems to activate phenomena. Uh, it's, it's quite interesting. There was also a lot of activity in the basement where um, the uh, wine cellar was kept and um, uh, thumps and raps and knocks on the walls, uh, not quite as active as the Eldred House uh, where, um, you know, the shadow figures were appearing and the the door that closed by itself and the stone thrower, which was the most interesting. Uh, but it was still uh, another interesting place, and it had um, very distinct changes in the atmosphere room to room. Um, when I did the walkthrough in the house and I went into two of the bedrooms in the back, I felt a distinct change in... Um, an atmosphere, which would indicate to me that these are probably two of the more haunted rooms in the place. And uh, the fellow who organized the tour said, yes, they were. And in fact, uh, one of them had been occupied uh, Was the private bedroom of, of one of the priests who had died in, in the building.
2: Well, how do you prepare yourself uh, uh, mentally, spiritually or otherwise before you do an investigation? And the reason I'm asking is, uh, you know, a, a person could go into the same building and have absolutely no uh, a paranormal encounter uh Uh, and yet the person standing beside them there might be something unique about that individual, something different uh, and they have all sorts of paranormal uh, experiences Is is it in the preparation? an
4: uneven playing field and uh, this is why it's very easy for some people to be skeptical because they think it it ought to be uniform, you know, everyone sees red for example and there shouldn't be any difference, but uh, for lack of a better term I've always called it psychic DNA, Uh, they're just seems to be something that some people are born with in their energy field that uh, is a catalyst to phenomena, and they're more sensitive to it. They can pick up on it more easily. Um, Places become more active when they're around, and other people uh, don't seem to have the, the same natural ability and in fact there are people and we find them in the investigation field and i call them phenomena killers because they have the opposite effect if they come into a haunted environment if anything's happening it goes dead and then when they leave it, it uh, tends to come back into action uh, so there must be something um, in the energy field that we carry around with us that has an unknown uh, interaction with the uh, subtle energies that are present in haunted environments.
2: I went, uh, once spoke to a paranormal investigator who told me that they would eat bananas uh, before going into an investigation. Something to do with the potassium. potassium Have you heard it? Yes. Yeah.
4: Um, Well, that's the first time I've heard that, about eating bananas. I might give it a try myself, but uh, potassium has uh, electrical properties to it, and um, if you, I guess, eat a lot of bananas, you might charge yourself up like a battery.
2: (laughs) Interesting. Well, uh, so amateur uh, ghost hunters, uh, take that under advisement. Um, A trip to the produce counter at your grocery (laughs) store and load up on on bananas.
4: I'm going to give that a try, Richard.
2: I, that would be great if you could. And let me know if it enhances the uh, the experience. Uh, quick question about the black box, and then um, I'll, I'll let you go, Rosemary. I know you've had a long day on the road, but um, the uh, has the black box, or, or could it be used, for example, um, let's say you were trying to solve a, a murder mystery, and you actually contacted the, the spirit of a of a murder victim. Uh, has this ever been attempted, where you would try to identify the the name of the murderer?
4: I suspect that there are researchers who have uh, tried that. Um, I've not participated in anything like that myself, but it would function like a medium. You know, many mediums work with law enforcement to try and solve crime cases, and a device uh, like this could certainly become a tool in that regard. Um, I'm not aware of any cases that have been solved through the use of a, of a Frank's box, um, there aren't that many of them available in the field yet, and so it's possible that just the right people uh, haven't gotten a hold of them yet. But it would definitely be worth experimenting with, um, and anything that could provide clues that would help law enforcement, I think, would be valuable.
2: Well, if you could take Frank Frank's box to one particular uh, place, one location, Uh, that you haven't and and, and maybe don't have access to, where would you take it and what would
4: you want to find out? You know, I'd love to go to Egypt with one and uh, take it to the pyramids and the Sphinx and some of the temples and uh, try and communicate with um, some ancient spirits who who could explain how the Egyptians built these incredible um, structures. And uh, perhaps answer some, some questions about their beliefs about the afterlife and their culture. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of mystery surrounding Egypt. There's a lot we know from the records left behind, but there's still a lot of mystery.
2: Rosemary, I, I, I smell a television series there. Get on that.
4: <laughs> that would be fun.
2: All right. Where are you off to next?
4: Well, on Tuesday, I'm flying out to Seattle, and it's part research and part R&R, because I have family in Seattle. I go out there every year for a visit, but uh, one of my research trips is to a UFO hotspot uh, down uh, near the border between Washington and Oregon. It's called the Gilliland uh, Ranch. Uh, It now has another uh, different sort of name, but the fellow who runs it is James Gilliland, and... Um, It's been famous for years as um, a UFO window hotspot, and uh, people go there and do sky-watching. And um, many have experiences with strange lights in the sky. I've never been there. I've heard a lot about it. I'll be interviewing James um, when I go down for a visit for a couple of days, and um, I sure hope I have something interesting happen because I've, I've actually never seen a UFO.
2: I'm actually surprised to hear that. I mean, you know, because you you do seem to be such a, a sensitive in this area and open to seeing these things, and I do think there is sort of a uh, a paranormal aspect t- to to the UFO phenomena. So that why certain people see them and others don't, and if anyone would see one, I would think it would be someone like yourself.
4: Well, I I seem to tune into uh, a lot of the phenomena that happen around UFO activity, um, but I've never seen. Um, unexplained lights in the sky. I've never seen Bigfoot either. Um, But um, I'm always hopeful.
2: All right, Rosemary, always a pleasure. Again, the website, www.visionaryliving.com, and look forward to talking to you next month.
4: Well, I hope to have an interesting report from the Gilliland Ranch.
2: I'm sure you will. Load up on bananas.
4: (laughs) Right, that's a good idea.
2: Okay, get some rest. Good night, Rosemary.
4: Thank you, Richard. Good night.
2: When we come back, open lines till the top of the hour. If you'd like to weigh in on my conversation with National Post columnist Jonathan Kaye, please do. If you've got a, uh, a spine-tingling tale, would love to hear from you. And if Kim is listening, the woman who sent me those interesting pictures from the cemetery, would love to talk to you as well. Nelson Thaw
1: will be with us as well. Stay with us. The Conspiracy Show. Poking holes in the darkness... The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Show with Richard Serrett, from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Just a reminder that the television program, The
2: Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, we uh, we are now currently in production on season two of our program. Uh, that'll be 18 new half-hour episodes debuting in late September. I'll give you an exact date uh, on Vision TV. And as I say, we're, uh, we're busy right now uh, producing it and um, um, spend part of the weekend, in fact, crisscrossing across southwestern Ontario, uh, in interviewing uh, some individuals for upcoming episodes, and we'll be uh, getting on a plane and flying uh, to the U.S., uh, shortly as well, most of July and August, I anticipate being on the road. Uh, so we're very excited about the um, the upcoming season, and um, probably in the next couple of weeks, I'll bring one of my uh, television uh, partners on to uh, to make a formal announcement. All right, open lines now until the uh, top of the hour. And again, if you want to get in on the uh, the discussion, I had with uh, Jonathan Kay the national post the author of among the truthers would love to hear from you at 416-360-0740 and toll free from out of town 866-740-740 uh, sorry 866-740-4740 L- let me let me begin that uh, if i can sort of uh, prime the pump uh, again uh jonathan k fine writer uh nice gentleman we had a nice chat i um, Quite frankly though, I I found his arguments unsat- unsatisfying. Uh the the argument that the FBI wouldn't list Osama bin Laden uh on its most wanted as being responsible for uh the nine eleven attacks, he said they didn't do that because it was um not a legal matter or intent or it wasn't something that the Justice Department would be handling. It was uh the military. And uh Osama bin Laden was being treated as a military or an enemy combatant, uh, and therefore they wouldn't list him on their most wanted as being responsible for 9-11. That just does not make any sense. Uh he also said that um the FBI, someone from the FBI said they didn't put, the, put him on uh, the website as responsible for 9-11 because they didn't have enough evidence. He said they said that, well, it's a big, the FBI is a big bureaucracy and, 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 and someone in the FBI, you know, could say anything they wanted. That's very weak. First of all, the individual who spoke to the journalist who, was, who asked the question, why isn't Osama bin Laden listed on the FBI for 9-11? The individual who answered that question, from FBI headquarters was Rex Toome. This was his responsibility to speak on behalf of the FBI. Uh, He was, um, uh, I'm trying to remember his exact title. I believe it was um, uh, investigative publicity. So his job was to speak with journalists and the public on behalf of the FBI. Secondly, on that same website and that page on the fbi page they listed osama bin laden as being wanted for two other terrorist attacks the bombing of the uss Cole and the embassies in tanzania and kenya so why would they list them as being wanted for certain terrorist attacks and not others does not make any sense uh the other thing that i found interesting was um that uh when I asked him, you know, why didn't the National Post or why didn't the mainstream media ask very basic questions early on about 9-11? Why didn't we see a headline, for example, questioning, why did those World Trade Center towers look as if they, have, they collapsed within in their own footprint? Why did they look as if they were brought down by controlled demolition? It's a, it's a simple question to ask doesn't mean you're a conspiracy theorist most people were thinking the same thing i would venture why was a, a pristine passport found amidst the rubble or among the rubble in the world trade center towers supposedly belonging to one of the hijackers when the planes themselves were uh, you know totally destroyed by 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 fire and yet they the media reported this pristine passport why didn't anyone in the mainstream media ask about that early on? And, and Jonathan's response was, well, the mainstream media were conditioned uh, sort of against discussing conspiracies. Well, that's that's a circular argument, isn't it? Uh, and a number of other points that I just thought uh, he really didn't answer the question or, or didn't, I shouldn't say that he was, he was certainly not trying to avoid the question. He just didn't offer convincing arguments in any regard. Uh, I say that with respect. And, uh, uh, again, Jonathan Kay, a gentleman and a, and a fine writer. All right, let's begin with, uh, Thomas. Welcome to the conspiracy show. Thomas, good morning. Hi, it's uh, nice to talk to you, Richard. A pleasure to speak with you.
5: Um, I'm calling up, um, I'm in the United States and um, calling you, uh, we've had a lot of um, shows like yours taken off the air here um, due to, I believe, um, you know, the new world order coming to the ages. Have you ever had any problems uh, in Canada with uh, threats and stuff like that, and you know, stuff like some of our um, um, talk shows here in the uh, United States have had?
2: Well, uh, some suggest that the reason I was um Fired from my last radio station job was because I um, kept doing programs about the the whole birther movement and, and questioning whether uh, President Obama is legal is is eligible rather to be president. In fact, the the, the last show I did mm-hmm. the night before I was fired uh, was was that very program. Have you However.
5: Heard- have you heard of um, any um, uh, like FEMA concentration camps being uh, built in Canada like they have been
2: built I've heard ru- I've heard rumors I haven't I haven't um, I haven't seen anything that I would consider to be tangible uh-huh. credible evidence I have done a number of shows I interviewed uh, the producer a filmmaker. On the, the FEMA camps, Have you heard I, of? I, I understand that Jesse Ventura, uh, mm-hmm. the host of the of Conspiracy Theory, uh, mm-hmm. did a uh, uh, tried to produce an episode and uh, was, was uh, the the broadcaster True Television down in the yes. states, True TV, formerly Court TV, yes. was told by Homeland Security or someone not to air that episode.
5: Yes, they uh, uh, was told uh, Jesse not to air that. Yes, right.
2: So. I personally
5: have been in uh, Grove, Indiana, and they have a facility over there. It was a uh, railroad uh, 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 depot, and it's a very huge building. And I was looking at uh, the complex through binoculars, and my friends. We was told to leave, and we was you know told not to be looking at it. and, And basically, what it is is. It's they're building this facility, I think, in case there'd be like a uh, outbreak of some kind of deadly disease. But I wonder why that they're getting prepared like that. I mean, is it something that's coming that they know what's going on?
2: Uh, Thomas, I don't think you have to be a you know a paranoid or a conspiracy nut mm-hmm. to, to to believe that the U.S. government uh, mm-hmm. would have some sort of a contingency plan in the event of of civil unrest yeah, or, as yeah. you say, some With sort economy, of yes. uh, outbreak of mm-hmm. a, uh, some sort of a pathogen or something. It would be pathogen, I think it would only it would the economy be economy going
5: bad here. Our uh, economy is yeah. really really bad here.
2: I think it would only be prudent for yeah. uh, for a government to, to to be making those
5: sorts of preparations. Well, so, we I, uh, uh, it was me and a friend of mine and my cousin. We was just out, uh, you know, looking around because uh, our grandfather had property over there, and we was checking it out, you know, the property that he used to own. And uh, basically, you know, camping out, and we got close there, and we heard about it, and we checked it out. And there is just such a facility being built. Um, I was wondering if you had, had ever heard of a gentleman uh, Sizon uh, Bilbo Schurz.
2: No, no, they name just, doesn't sound uh, familiar. It's him
5: um, off the uh, air. He was in our area. I read a book, I believe one of your um, people that used to have on their, uh it's the uh, Seal of End of Times. Uh, is that the same gentleman? N- that was on? Nils
2: Hammerin. Nils yeah, Hammerin. I was
5: wondering yes. if it was the same guy. I read that book, it was very interesting.
2: Yes, uh, yeah, good old Nils is down in Somerville, New Jersey. It's about time I had him back on the show. Listen, Thomas, uh, appreciate the call. Thanks for checking in from the great state of Indiana. The who's your state? Thank you. Uh, appreciate. It. Hope you'll call again. Let's say hello to Sydney White. Hello, Sydney.
6: Oh, hi, Richard.
2: What's going on?
6: Can you hear me? I can. Oh, good. I just phoned. Dan. What a coincidence! I if I'd had time or he'd stayed, I would have invited him tomorrow night. I'm doing a free lecture at the university on 9-11. Oh. And uh, I'm so sorry. I I thought maybe we'd be calling in and talking to him. Uh, So if you'd like to let people know, I can let you know where we'll be. Please do. I will be at the Claude Bissell Building, which is really the north end of the Robarts Library. It's just above Harvard on the west side of St. George. And the number is 140, 140 St. George. Then we will be in room 205.
2: Is that just north of college?
6: No, it's north a little bit. It's right on the corner of Harvard and St. Ah. George. Okay, it's and what time huge again? It's a rare book library there. You can't miss it. What time and again, Sydney? My auditorium will be in the north end of the Robarts Library.
2: And what time again?
6: It's 6 p.m., and it's at 140 St. George Street. And as I said, we'll be in the Claude Bissell Building. It'll be on a sign out in front.
2: And what's the name of the lecture?
6: Uh, the name of the lecture is 9-11. Okay. It was it's 9-11 revisited, and I have uh, 10 hard copies of research that people can uh, look up, take it with them from the lecture and look it up when they get home, Uh, because uh, I do agree with your arguments uh, that you've just stated, and we have to realize that there is, as he said, there is a political bias and rather than uh, sort of take the credibility away from one person, he's decided to do it to quite a mass of people.
2: Wait, and what, 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 as I don't I said think... To him- as I said to him, Sydney, what, what happens is, you know, Jonathan K. And, and many that, that to toil in the mainstream media. I don't think they're part of any conspiracy. They've just decided whom to believe. They and he believes in the nine eleven commission, which is his right. Uh-huh. Uh, uh and, and 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 those of us who have questions choose not to. Um, But I I do find it disturbing, again, what I call this proof of authority, simply because it comes from NIST or the 9-11 Commission or... Uh, you know the uh, popular mechanics. The, they, they 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 believe them, but they won't believe someone else. And and I don't think that the mainstream media should be operating that way. They should, they should be in, in pulling on all the threads. And if 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 uh, if it goes nowhere, then they pull on another thread. And if that one goes somewhere, then you pursue it. Yes,
6: uh, it's it's called an investigation and. In the last 10 years, we've really stuck with nothing else but forensics, how it was done, how it was done. Well, in a real investigation, even the police, uh, even if they don't find a weapon, they will still consider the other options. Who does it benefit? uh... who had the opportunity who had the motivation but the very first question the police ask is who benefits and it doesn't require a weapon even for them to ask that question but for some reason we have stuck with nothing but forensics and it's very confusing and it's nothing but arguing back and forth i do choose though to believe experts in the field I do choose to believe uh, well-known pilots. I do choose to believe engineers uh, rather than I would just believe a blanket statement uh, by media.
2: Especially when you know he kept mentioning the nine eleven commission and how he chooses to believe them. Well, we had several of the the uh, the the the, the, co- the the authors of the nine eleven commission report who, who basically said yeah, this has been a complete whitewash. So really, yes. can we believe the nine eleven commission? Listen, Sydney, got to run. Thank you for uh, as always for checking in. Give us the date and the time and the location one more
6: time. Right, it will be in room two o five at one four zero st george street and that is just a little bit north of harvard it's below bloor and is just a little north of harvard on the west side 140 st george street 6pm tomorrow and i will be discussing 9-11 and of course the lectures are filmed and people will go home with hard copies of what i have spoken about this is not about my theories i will be handing out Hard facts by scientists, engineers, and pilots.
2: Excellent. Sydney, thank you so much.
6: You're welcome. Good night.
2: All right, quick time out when we come back. A few more calls till the top of the hour. And uh, Nelson Thal, if you're out there listening, now would be a good time to check in. Back with more of the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett.
1: Big Brother is listening. And so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at
0: 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740.
1: Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind. On The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740.
2: Getting some emails of people complaining or. In a nice way, uh, that the uh, the website richardserat.com has not been uh, updated, and uh, you, you are quite correct. Uh, I didn't get um, the website updated for this week, and uh, what can I say? Just uh, the, um, the the television uh, production has uh, really gobbled up a lot of my time, but uh, I will get that uh, the website back up to date as soon as I can so that you know. Uh, by simply clicking on uh, www.richardserrett.com what's coming up on the program each and every week. All right, Uh, Nelson Thal has uh, joined the fray, our media scientist and former archivist for the late Marshall McLuhan, uh, to give us an update on uh, what he perceives as a real uh, threat and danger uh, to our Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Nelson, how are you?
7: Very good. It's uh not much time, so we'll go through it. R- Richard, remember last week we pointed out about how um, the Daily Mail online back in April um, had a headline, the EU are trying to wipe us off the map. And um, what was, what's was what been going on that's not really reported here is how Brussels and and the UK is fighting with the EU. And the headlines are, Brussels merges England and France, in new arc region with its own flag. So this is creating a lot of problems and a lot of spinning off a lot of battles that all the intelligence agencies now are sort of just uh, reverberating with.
2: And then you had a, um, a, a contact with French intelligence that suggested that the young woman, the parliamentary page who held up the Stop Harper sign at during the, the throne speech, was some sort of uh, um, uh, mind control project mannequin type of victim and that this was some sort of a sign that uh that that, that harper might be uh, under some sort of a threat which we don't want of course
7: no exactly the thing is uh, to recognize these signs because it's um uh, attempt. We know that uh, the Nigel Farage assassination attempt is right before us. It's uh, it's something to keep in mind in this battle that's going on. Like we've seen um, Nigel Farage's plane that we mentioned last week was uh, was sabotaged and crashed and he was almost killed and he was the uh, UK member of the uh, in the parliament in Brussels and uh, And
2: very and very and very uh, critical of the the president of the uh, the uh, European Parliament von Rumpi yes
7: highly critical and
2: he, he
7: defamed him in many ways
2: on June the 7th Uh, There was this hoax. A hacker uh, hacked into the conservative uh, uh, party website and and, uh, claimed that that, that Harper was rushed to hospital via a helicopter after he supposedly choked on his breakfast. This, of course, was a hoax. It didn't happen. So how is that connected in in all of this?
7: Well, there's a lot of sideline intelligence agencies watching who realize that uh, these are the same signals that are given before assassinations. You, you so gave me an example about are trying to find out who's got is it a rogue element is it whatever I mean you, we know that um, remember Lee Harvey Oswald was a born supremacist sirhan sirhan borns uh, it's all born identity it's all mind control and that's that's a fact
2: well you you mentioned some foreshadowing in the uh, leading up to JFK's assassination in a in a, in a, in a the cover of a Time magazine tell me about that as an example of this foreshadowing.
7: Yes, yeah, and Garrison, Jim Garrison, as well, reported that they felt that the uh, Time magazine article that came out months before his assassination, with the ghost image of him looking down, uh, was uh, was a, a, a sign that uh, that the coming assassination of
2: Kennedy was coming. Now we just have a couple of minutes here, but it, again, explain to me why uh, this uh, attempt by Brussels and the European uh, Parliament to Create this new country out of southern England and France.
0: Uh, why? You would- know,
7: at at my Twitter site, uh, Bloom Lenny. Uh, what you can see is you can see the uh, the, the Daily Mail Telegraph from April thirtieth which really does a lot of – explains how, uh, how this has really triggered a, a, a cross-channel battle going on as they try and merge southern England with northern France in a new flag and a new country. And so you've got uh, patriots back into the forest.
2: Nelson, have you attempted to communicate this to the RCMP or the prime minister's office?
7: Definitely not we're not uh, we're, we're reporters. Uh, that's not our job. Well, but we're, we're also we're, citizens. We're, we're, by reporting we're also it, citizens. it, they can pick it up.
2: Well, we're also citizens and human beings, and we certainly don't want any harm to come to our prime minister.
7: No, but that's not our business. We're not hired to be his to, to do that. We're hired to to call it and re- report the state secrets that are being hidden.
2: Well, your, your contact in French intelligence, I mean, are they going to tip off someone in the RCMP if this is a, if, if this is a, a serious threat?
7: Well, the RCMP may be more of a threat than anything else. So I don't think they'd want to they'd act cautiously because I'm sure they don't know who's behind it. But I can what they're reporting is these are warning signs on their radar.
2: Well, I mean because
7: we this week the like why haven't they come out and told us who hacked into this computer? I mean, this is like Watergate, this is similar to Watergate, what's happened because the Conservative party it has been invaded, and just like Watergate, they broke in the plumbers. this is a whole computer plumbing operation, but nobody's saying anything, which is rather odd, isn't it? Richard?
2: Well, I would agree, and and I'm, uh, I'm I'm concerned, and I would be inclined. You can't that, hack into the Conservative
7: Party website without everybody knowing who did it.
2: No, I, the I, I'm inclined to want except to send the a copy. People aren't of told,
7: this. right? Everybody knows, but the people.
2: Yeah, Nelson, I'm inclined to send uh, maybe a copy, an MP3 of this show to uh, the PMO so that they they're aware that. Uh, I don't know. I I just feel I feel the need to to let them know,
7: you know. Well, last week on Sunday show we talked about we didn't know about the Conservative Party break in yet, but that certainly is another sign, is it not?
2: I um, you know you you have an, an amazing way of connecting the dots that I would never see. So uh, you, you know, regardless, I, I I think I mean if you think that this is a possibility that some harm could come. Uh, 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 I I just feel the need uh, to um, I'm going to send an MP3 to the PMO if that's all right. would you have an objection to that? Nelson? I have an objection
7: to that?
2: Yeah, if I would have just, I don't know send an email or something we
7: should see what the listeners think
2: (laughs) (laughs) well um, yeah, I I don't necessarily want to you know uh, um, have someone's life hanging in the balance uh, these
7: people pretty professional. I don't think they, we know anything. They know a lot more about it. I'm sure his office knows a lot more about it than we never ever know.
2: I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Yeah. All right. And who knows, they may just, they may just dismiss this as the, uh, you know, the ravings of, uh, some mad radio people on late night radio. Indeed. Well, Nelson, I hope, I hope, I hope you're wrong about this. Uh, but you're often right. So that's what concerns me the most. Always a pleasure, my friend.
7: Yeah, it's uh, hopefully, you know, it's it, Richard, our job is just to uh, uh, talk about things that aren't being reported in the daily press that the Mansbridges Bridges and the others should be talking about, and for some reason, they're not.
2: All right, Nelson, take care. Talk soon. Good night. Good night. All right, my thanks to Griffin March for technical production, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, and, of course, Jonathan Kay, author of Among the Truthers. Uh, I'm so still disappointed I didn't end up in that book. I'm a part of the conspiracist subculture, after all. All right, back uh, next week with Pepper Chomsky and a whole new take on John Lennon's murder. Hope you'll be with me. Until then, move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.